Hello and welcome to episode number six of Grumpy Old Ben's. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chicago, Illinois, where it's almost May and it's supposed to snow. It's nuts. And across this big virtual desk, we like to call the interwebs is Sir Ryan Bemrose. And I still I never know where you are. Where are you from an undisclosed location on America's left coast? I'm Ryan Bemrose. And the weather here is even scarier than your snow. It's sunny. Well, that does not happen often in that area of the world. That could be that could be the the doomsday that we've all been hearing about. Enjoy it. It's global warming. We're all going to die soon. Today's show. Happy note. We're talking about convenience culture because I think we're all just lazy sons of bitches. Is that is that where we're going with this society now? That that does, in fact, describe America and many other first world countries. And it's sad, but we go really. Should we start with the quote from Ben Franklin from 17, whatever it was that said that people that are willing to give up their what privacy for security d- deserve neither. We're living in a world now where convenience is king. And are we better for it or are we, are we worse for it? Well, it's easily argued that we're better off for a lot of the conveniences because we have a lot more time to post on Facebook, rant on Twitter, you know, the important things in life. The quote you're looking for is those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety, which is, is not really about convenience. It's about, uh, uh, that's about the security culture that we've also got, which is a completely different rant, but it's, it's along the same lines. People are lazy. And if they can outsource the keeping of the staples in their lives, all of the the little things that you have to do in order to be happy, if you can outsource that, like your protection, like eating, drinking, sleeping, if you can get somebody else to do those for you, wouldn't you? And this comes down. There was an article that I read not too long ago that talked about culture today, the world we're living in. We hear that everything is really bad. We hear that things are going in the wrong direction. We hear that it's, it's nothing but a crap show. But somebody looked at the lifestyle that we're living today and made the comparison that even the people that are considered at the poverty level today lived better than a Rockefeller did a half a century or so ago because of the conveniences. There are so many things that have changed in this world. From just a short period ago, whether you're talking about refrigerators, whether you're talking about air conditioning, a lot of these things that if you were to go back 50 years, the only people if they could have afforded this technology would have been the the super top of the, you know, the 1% of the 1%. And it it really does seem to hold that that logic is, is really spot on that people today, even at the lowest levels are living a better life than the rich did just not that long ago. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that's totally a bunch of crap? Well, there's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, 300 years ago, a peasant family would be spending eight hours a day just in the pursuit of trying to get enough food for that evening's meal. And today, even the poorest people have a magic box, two magic boxes in their kitchen, one that they can pull out and find a, a frozen piece of something that resembles food. And you put it into another magic box, you punch a button, you watch a timer 
go down while the box glows and suddenly you have a meal. And that would be unheard of by the people who had to go out and hunt and kill on farm for every single meal. And and if you didn't spend your eight hours or you managed to break your leg or something, you, you died because you just had no more food. And now if you break your leg, then you got, we got hospitals right down the road. I mean, that's convenient. You order dominoes. Pe- people, if you want food, uh, if, if you don't want to go through the effort pulling a frozen meal out of the freezer, putting it into the microwave and pushing a button. You don't even have to go through that effort. You can get in your car, drive down to a building, not even get out of your car and tell a person through the window, I want food and they will hand it to you. And that, that is convenient. Well, let's be on that. How is in your deck of the woods? How prevalent are these new delivery services like Grubhub and Uber Eats and all that other crap? I I live in the land of Amazon. They test everything on the left coast. So it's where, where all of the the things are tried out before they're shipped out to other parts of the country. Which this is just even a more very recent change as far as all this convenience stuff goes, because when I was growing up, you either, like you said, had to go out to get your food, or if you were going to call somebody to deliver food, it was pizza. That was about it. You could order pizza. They would bring that to you. That was your delivery option. Yeah. Now there's all of the, all of these services. You want a burger? They'll bring it to you. You want Starbucks? They'll bring it to you. It doesn't matter what it is. Sushi? Bring it to you. Last night when Dame Bemrose came home from work and she says, uh, so how, you know, what, what have you got going for dinner? I said, well, um, I was doing this and this and I, I didn't start dinner. She said, okay, no problem. I'll take care of dinner. And okay, great. And 20 minutes later, a person arrived at our house with Indian food and it was fantastic. And uh, and not entirely healthy, but it was so convenient. You know, we we have uh, just in the last few years. Uh, you know, what what kinds of conveniences have we seen brought in, even in the last uh, decade? Uh, cashless, which is something we talked about on uh, a couple shows ago. Um, the idea that you don't have to carry money around with you; you just carry a piece of plastic, and it covers all of your economic transactions. That's pretty awesome. Transportation, you know, a hundred years ago, 300 years ago, we were all on foot a hundred years ago. We were, uh, you know, if you were on one of the main lines, you could catch a steamboat. I'm probably off on my years, you know, 20 years ago, it was almost convenient to be able to start from say where I am and get into the big, big city 30 miles away by going and sitting in a small makeshift shelter by the side of the road until a large vehicle comes by. And then I hand money to the operator of the vehicle. I get on it. I sit there for a while and then I end up downtown. I didn't even need to do that anymore. I can just call an Uber or just pick up one of the horrific looking green bikes that litters the ground everywhere and bicycle in. The question is, is all of this stuff good? I mean, everybody likes convenience. I like convenience. You know, I'd like to pick up the phone. Nobody picks up the phone to order food anymore. It's all done on the Internet. And like you say, it shows up 20 minutes later. But what is that doing to the human species as far as being able to handle if shit goes bad, if the Internet goes away, which there's there's a lot of rumor that could happen if there was ever a big enough electrical storm, some kind of EMT, something that happens that disrupts our machines. So even if everybody in the world 
doesn't die. You know, no, we're not talking nuclear blast or anything like that. But if there's an issue where the Internet goes down even for a day or God forbid a week, how adapt are people to continue living their lives without freaking out? I mean, I've heard stories of like millennials, college students that get literally agitated and depressed if their Wi-Fi goes down. And I worry that the more convenient living becomes when something goes wrong, they really are going to melt down. Well, I mean, I think for the most part, the people who live their lives online and don't know how to do otherwise, yeah, they're pretty screwed. Don't worry about me. I've got a fully stocked survivalist bunker. There, oh, see, okay. There, there is a bunker in Camp Emrose. And uh, we've, we've had times in the past because, of course, you and I are both old enough to remember times when Wi-Fi wasn't always there. And even the internet would occasionally go out once in a while. I've developed a, a very powerful technique for dealing with if the internet goes down. Uh, I call it a book. Wow. What is this technology you speak of? It's, it's an older technology where uh, you can get information without having to have a Wi-Fi plan. Hmm. I'll have to look into this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's basically uh, stored data modules that, that you can get from uh, physical locations. And the best thing about them is that they're solar. They operate on uh, ambient light. <laughs> as long as you have light. They're very, very environmentally friendly. The environment actually brings up uh, one of uh, what I would argue is, you, you know, you were asking about downsides to the, the convenience factor that we've got. And uh, one of the biggest and most immediate problems with a lot of these convenience things is waste. You know, any, any good person should definitely want to save the environment. That's we we've been told that that's important because the environment, if, if humans weren't here would just be perfect and pristine and, and there would be no garbage in the streets. The perfect utopia for humans contains no humans. That's true because any utopia that you create, uh, every theoretical utopia anywhere um, immediately collapses as soon as you add humans. Uh, but you know, all the fast food generates waste going into a convenience store, convenient packaging. You know, when you, whenever, whenever you're done with your, your single serving item, it creates waste. Uh, if, if you use your, uh, one of those bikes that gets you from place to place, it creates waste. Now this is the physical conveniences and, uh, you're not creating as much physical waste if you use the app. But now that we're moving everything to electro to online, the thing that worries me is uh, that we're not acknowledging the electronic waste that we're leaving around. What do you mean by the electronic waste? Uh, well, uh, this really gets into the question of privacy control. Whenever you sign into an app, the, the company is now creating a database of, of what information they know about you, what they, you know, they know that, that you, you know, if you order an Uber from point A to point B, then they immediately know three things about you, that you use Uber, that you were at point A at this time, and that you were at point B at this time. Makes sense, which is also something that my insurance company knows, because to get better rates, and I know you'll, you'll hate this most likely, but the only place I go is like two minutes away because, you know, I don't drive a whole lot anymore. It's safe to assume, by the way, that if one company is putting information in about it or into a database about you that that data is available to every other company out there. Right. Which is also available to my cell phone. So I guess I understand that. But my insurance company, you know, sent me one of them 
cool little Bluetooth things that you put in your car. And it's lowered my rates quite a bit because one, I hardly ever drive. And two, I don't drive like a homicidal maniac. So. So what you're saying is that you are willingly giving up personal data to a large corporation in exchange for convenience. Yes, I am. And I know and I know on one hand that sucks, but at least there is a monetary price to this. And at this point, I really have talked. We've talked about this in the past. Can you really stay? off the grid. Or actually I did that on a random thought, so a different podcast. But check out the episode I did on random thoughts about off the grid where I really kind of looked at a lot of this stuff where okay, I could I feel bad because I'm giving my insurance company this information in order to save money. But with that said, I know every time that I get in my car, if I bring my phone with me, somebody's going to have access to that information anyway. Okay, so I leave my phone at home. I'm going to fuck the system. I'm going to totally go off the grid. I'm going to leave my phone at home. I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive. And the first red light camera that I run across, I'm sure isn't going to take a picture of my car and log the license plate and say that I was there anyway. And I'm sure there's not cameras everywhere along my route. And I'm sure there's not other cars who have cameras in them that also are somehow tracking this information, which. Okay. I know this is a digression, but are are you actually contractually obligated to take your phone everywhere when you drive? No, because <laughs> I, I I understand that I'm I'm the luddite of the group, but if I don't have any reason to believe that I'm going to be making calls, I don't take my phone most places. You know, it all it, it's it's one of those things to where even if you don't think you're going to be take making calls, taking calls, I just have. And it's an irrational thing, I'm sure. But the day I leave my phone at home is the day I get like five miles from the house and, you know, two tires blow off. And I'm like, shit, I'd like to be able to call somebody and I don't want to have to walk, you know, 20 miles to a there Are there pay phones anymore outside of Chicago? How, how far do you have to go before you can see any signs of land that does not have humans on it? You know, the area that we're in now was like that. When I was a kid, I had a buddy that lived out in the area where I am now and driving from my house to his, there was just like big open fields and nothing, but that's all been built up to the point to where we're now about 30 miles or so outside of Chicago, you know, 45 minute drive or so going down the expressways until you get to the point to where you're like, we've gone through the city, we've gone through the suburbs, and now we're getting into more uninhabited uh, and uninhabited spaces. You're a good 30, probably 30 to 40 miles outside of Chicago before that starts happening. Well, my point is that you, I, I know I'm old enough to remember a time. In fact, uh, I, the first cell phone that I ever owned, I didn't get until after I left college. And the first cell phone I ever encountered was, well, it was, it was one of those, uh, old analog ones that's the the size of of a cinder block and weighs about as much and only got reception if you were standing under a cell tower so those don't really count for being connected anywhere uh it it wasn't until about 2004 that it was even a reasonable assumption that you could be connected to everybody in the world everywhere you went and before that when I was a kid I'd, with my family, we would go on road trips where uh, we would pick up a landline and we'd call grandma five hours away and say, hey, we're leaving now. We'll be there around seven. 
And you know what we didn't do during that entire trip? There was no point during that trip when we called from the road and said, hey, you know, we're just passing Westfield. Uh, we're about an hour out. Wanted you to let you know. That didn't happen. It was we showed up at seven or we showed up at seven thirty if there were traffic or we showed up at eight if there was a wreck or something. And if we made particularly good time and were lead footed, we might show up at six thirty and civilization didn't grind to a halt. No, but if you also if you if you ran out of gas or you had a blown tire or your car decided to blow up, uh, then you maybe you had a long walk. Then there there were other motorists along sometimes. Sometimes not. And and that was that was kind of my point is if you're five miles from home, you don't exactly live in in the, the wilderness of northern Canada where you are. If you're five miles from home, somebody else is around. No, but sometimes when I go to get barbecued ribs, you might get shot. So you never know what kind of neighborhood and, you're in. And when you get shot, you can ask them to please call 911 <laughs> for you. Thank you for shooting that. me, sir. Yes. Can you please? Can you please I'm, call nine one one? Yes. Okay. So uh, it, <laughs> you you bring up something that wasn't really part of my experience when I was younger, which is is going into a place where people would rather shoot you than talk to you. But <laughs> now that they know you, <laughs> well, I try to stay away from people who've met me before. But I guess I guess my point is that it is extremely convenient to have a cell phone with you at all times, just in case something happens. Right. Uh, but the the chance that something is happening on any particular trip is very low and if it does and suppose that you know if you got in a wreck and your cell phone was destroyed what would you do well you'd probably ask somebody nearby can can you please you know dial emergency for me uh can you i guess the reason why i feel comfortable going out without the convenience of a cell phone is well first of all it's not all that convenient for me I hate getting phone calls, but it's because so would you like to give your number out here on the podcast, just in case anybody wants to reach yes, out to you. Uh, my number is, uh, hold on. Let me, let me go look it up. Nick, the rat radio.com. <laughs> I, oh, I don't need to take my cell phone because there will always everywhere that I go, there's going to be someone. If it, in the minuscule chance that there's some emergency, there's going to be someone nearby who'd be willing to call emergency services for me. Well, yeah, I would hope so. The only kind of emergencies that I wouldn't want to do that with is uh, if my wife required that I be accessible. In that case, yeah, I'm taking the damn cell phone because it's my wife and that's what you do. Right. And it's a part of the convenience thing. I mean, I had my first cell phone. I got it for free. And I think it was 1987 or 1988. I think I was still in high school at the time and I got it for free because the guy, the buddy of my dad's, bought a new one and the deal was I went and installed the new one in his car and he didn't want the old one anymore. So I took that and looking back, I wish I remember what the cost was because now cell phone bills are so damn high back then as a kid in high school, it had to be, you just paid by the minute because I think you, you did pay by the minute. In fact, uh, I, I remember my dad, uh, who, who ran a business, he ran a real estate business at the time. His, his job took him out to the sticks. And, you know, places out in the county that were that that actually were far from a house with a phone. And so he needed this because uh, if if he needed to take business when he was out there, he, he needed to be able to do it without having to rush home because it might be two hours to get home. He itemized his bills and the the per minute charge was about half as much as the cost 
of charging the batteries. <laughs> I believe it. You know, and it was a different world then. I mean, it really was. The, the fact that if it was, because I, I know if it was like 40 or 50 bucks a month, like it is now to have, you know, your unlimited calling plan, there was no way I would have done it. But the fact that it was, hey, you only use it per minute. The, I guess the cell phone companies figured out that that was too convenient and they would have had, they had to come up with a new plan to, to make sure everybody paid more because it, it's, it, it is. We remember a time, I mean, we're old enough. I remember a time where high speed internet didn't exist. Hell, I remember a time that internet didn't exist. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's see. Now you're going a little too far back. Yeah. Consumer internet didn't exist as far as normal people calling in, getting online. Yeah. When I was just starting in this stuff, CompuServe was the big thing. The age of AOL when it brought everybody online. Before that, the internet was, again, the internet was, it was a utopia because the only people there were just us nerds and computer hackers and everything was perfect until AOL brought humans into our utopia. I mean, I came from a world where getting online was filled by bulletin boards, which weren't connected to each other, that you had to call a phone number that most of the time the bulletin boards had one phone line. So if somebody else was using that, let's just consider the bulletin board, the, you know, the website of the day, the, you know, the email service of the day. If you wanted to use it and somebody else was already using it, you just had to redial until the phone rang. Oh, yeah. The, the really big ones would have uh, a bank of 10 or 20 phone lines and each one connected to a modem that would. Yeah, those the, the really I mean, those are the high class systems. And the idea of setting up a computer with 20 modems in it, just, it made me, it made the, the dude named Ben and me salivate. <laughs> right. Because that was how this, you know, this whole concept started. People make fun of IRC chat, which is something that is in use now for like the no agenda troll room. It's still around. I don't make fun of IRC chat. IRC is still the best chat option out there. Who are you to make fun of it? You want to start something? But oh. people do. People, yeah. you know, make fun of people, how- like- People. How antiquated it is. And I'm thinking back, like, I remember the local bulletin board, and I believe they had 12 phone lines. And it was what we're doing in an IRC chat today, even though this is like ancient technology to most people. That was revolutionary at the time because the best we could have at the time was you got on one of those 12 phone lines and you had like five or 10 minutes of chat. Before it kicked you out, because there was, again, only so much to go around. So yeah. they couldn't have people logged in all the time. Because because the number of landlines that you were paying for was the total number of users they could have at any given time. They had a time slice back back in those days. I actually ran a BBS. It was a single phone line BBS. But uh, I was a I was a part of a network called Fidonet. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Uh, but it was it was sort of internet in that it was a global network, but because everything had to be time sliced over phone lines, what you had was you had the sync period where your your BBS had to be available for a sync phone call from your upstream node during a particular hour, and usually that hour was set in the middle of the night. So uh, between uh, I think for us it was between one and two a.m my BBS would always get a, a a sync call where I would receive it. It was effectively Usenet and email 
were, were the big services. And I would receive all of the emails that were destined for any user on my service. And I would send all the emails that were coming from my service and same with all of the, the news posts and everything else. And so it was like internet, which had uh 24 hour latency. <laughs> yes. Because every time that you needed to communicate with somebody I, and compared to the internet, that is glacially slow. Oh my God. I have to send an email and then wait for the sync tonight. And then if there are more hops, I have to wait for the 24 hours for the next sync and 24 hours. For, and it could take forever, but you know what? That was a hell of a lot faster than the post. It was convenient. Yes. This was the beginning of the convenience culture. And you look back on it now and people are going to be like, wait, so to send an email to somebody, you had to get on your computer, dial a phone number. If it was busy, you had to keep trying. You finally got through to the BBS and use your five or 10 minutes, whatever was allotted to you for that day to send a message to somebody, which would then wait until the middle of the night when another computer dialed into that and pulled the messages. And then maybe 24, 48 hours later, the person you sent the email to would finally get it. People today are going like, how the hell could you even do that? Well, it was faster than what we had before. It was more convenient. And that's actually uh, that that's the most impressive and possibly the scariest thing about uh, convenience culture is that as technology moves on, we are constantly inventing newer things that are more and more convenient. And the, the conveniences of yesterday, like email, which was amazing and revolutionary and completely changed the way that we communicate with people, which up until then was physical letters is old and archaic now and instant messaging killed that. And then, you know, tweeting killed that and voice calls and, and video calls. Exactly. It's all of these ways we have to communicate instantly now. And every single time that a new technology opens up a new piece of convenience, it's, Oh, it's, it's convenient. It's so great. And we jump on it. And do do we even think about what if there's a downside? And that is the biggest question for me. When, it, when you start talking about the utopia stuff, when you start hearing about the world is getting better, technology is getting better, one of the things people will talk about is, as far as the human race in general, nobody will have to work anymore. Everybody will have unlimited leisure time to spend with family and friends. Unlimited leisure time to podcast, you mean? Which was another one of my points the human being and we fall into this category with with a plum we we fully will tell you that lazy if left to our own devices most of the time we're going to take the easier route out of it and i think the problem is for a lot of people utopia means they're going to lay around and they're going to just fade away do things that are detrimental to themselves i really think it is the minority that would take this utopia that's supposed to lead to all these great artistic things. I think only a minority of the people, if we were able to flip a switch today and say nobody has to work anymore, nobody has to worry about money, only a minority, only a small number of people are going to start writing, podcasting, that are going to start performing music, right? They're going to start podcasting, going to be creating content going to be creating an art in, um, in one way or another and podcasting is art if you look at it in a certain way i don't know if you have you looked at the free podcasting directory right now it does seem like everybody has a podcast these days which i don't think more would do it if everybody didn't have to work 
today. You know, if we if we flip the switch and that happened, I don't necessarily think more people would be doing it because podcasting is work. Wait, what? <laughs> you didn't know? I, I sorry, I fooled you into doing something that that you didn't know was work. Podcasting is technically work. You're contributing. We might we might have to shut this thing down right now. I, I have I have a philosophy about work. We we pulled back the we pulled back the curtain and we let you in on the secret. Podcasting is actually for most people work. So I don't actually think that work is a virtue in and of itself. Uh, work in general uh, it is pretty much by definition a thing that you do in order to accomplish some goal, and it may not be something that you want to do. It could be. You could enjoy your work. And if you do, then more power to you because that's a really great situation. But I don't think that just being at work is good in and of itself. Now, I, I completely agree with you that losing, just sitting around doing nothing all day is not a healthy thing for the human psyche. That's That's one of the big drawbacks of convenience culture that I don't think we quite fully understand is, is what happens when people sit around doing nothing. Right. Not having a purpose maybe is better than saying, talking about working or not. It's all of a sudden, what's your purpose? Yeah. If, if I had no work whatsoever, I, I would like to think that I would create, I, I enjoy writing fiction I, I seem to enjoy making podcasts, no matter how much it angers me. Sometimes, <laughs> I like uh, writing software code, uh, game mods. Now, I'd like to think that that's what I would do all day because it's productive and it's interesting and it's a lot of fun. That said, um, during some times when I've been out of work, I ended up playing a lot of video games. So maybe it takes a stronger person than me, but. I the thing that bothers me is is you you seem to be suggesting that everybody should work so that you have purpose and that no okay no I'm not saying everybody should work but I'm saying that so many people have their lives built around their purpose which is for a lot of people their work so I I don't have a problem with a, a concept of nobody has to work I think that would be great I do agree that would be a utopia the question is how do people handle that I mean you, you point to the people that I would think in our society have the most, have the epitome of the benefits of convenience culture. And these are the people that have made a crap ton of money, if that's the technical term, whether you're a sports superstar, uh, whether you're. I believe a crap ton is, the crap ton is just one step above a shitload. Okay. So that we definitely want crap ton. If there's something above that, you can throw that in there too. But whether you're. Well, a fuck ton is higher than that. Yeah. I mean, if you're Taylor Swift. If you're somebody that's made enough money by the time you're 25, 30 years old, that you'd never have to work anyway. You see a lot of these people fall into very bad self-destructive behavior, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex addiction, whether whatever it is, you know, the Charlie Sheen could be the poster boy, I guess, for what I would be pointing to as far as if somebody's left to their own devices doesn't have to work, has enough money to do anything they want, things may go horribly wrong. And the question becomes, if you're going to keep going with this convenience culture to where we get to that point, how do we make sure that the culture doesn't implode upon itself? Because everybody, just imagine a world where everybody becomes Charlie Sheen. What would that be like? Well, it's, 
it's a negative feedback loop because if everybody becomes Charlie Sheen, then nothing gets done. And then suddenly all the services shut down and then there's no more convenience. And then nobody is Charlie Sheen. I mean, if everybody was Charlie Sheen, who would grow the cocaine? (laughs) Right. You know, that is, that is a very valid point. And there will always be, there will always be some people who are not satisfied to do nothing. And those people are going to find something interesting to do. There will also always be jobs that nobody wants to do. And for that, you're going to have to pay somebody to work, which is fine. And isn't the problem, the people that decide that they, and I don't want to say have a work ethic, but the people that figure out how to game this system and put some effort into something to where it gives them more control. Isn't this pretty much going to enslave everybody who's become used to having everything handed to them? Because it's all one day it's going to be like, oh, wait. Somebody has to provide all this shit for me. I mean, unless we're assuming robots are doing it and then who knows the robots can turn against humanity too. Well, one thing I've learned about humans is that they're extremely adaptable. So uh, most of the times that you come up with a hypothetical uh, end of world situation, you, you have to slow your roll a little bit and think, how could we possibly get there? And at what point do warning signs start showing up? Because if we're never going to get to a point where Nobody is doing anything. We're we're going to get to a point where uh, we start to see certain things failing or falling or down. For example, if nobody wants to clean up the streets of a city, you're going to, or or uh, nobody wants to think about uh, providing homes for the people who've been economically kicked out of theirs. Then what you're going to end up with is people sleeping and pooping on the streets, and you see that. Oh, so San Francisco. Yes. And you see that in certain cities. And uh, that is a a very, very early stage to the the cataclysmic event of everybody just laying down and dying because they're not doing anything. But you already are seeing a backlash to the, the state of San Francisco. You're not seeing that backlash from the people running San Francisco yet. They're, they're going to need it to get a little bit worse before they come out of their bubble. But you're seeing a lot of other people elsewhere looking at this and going, we don't really want our city to become like that. And that's, I mean, I think that human nature not to want to have to live in a city that's filled with people crapping on the street. As, uh, as we heard the other day on the No Agenda show, John C. Dvorak saying that a judge in San Francisco ruled that taking a dump on a public street, sidewalk, whatever, was covered under your First Amendment rights of free speech. <laughs> I mean, how? Oh, man, okay, that just. This judge might need to go back and take some more biology lessons because that's not speech. I mean, it's coming. Well, it's coming out of a hole. I mean, it's just the wrong one, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how that works, but this. I think San Francisco. It's not clear to me that the First Amendment protects all orifices equally. I would agree. But I think we're seeing in San Francisco where they're trying this convenience culture thing out where it's, hey, you don't need to have a job. Just come here. We'll provide for you. We'll give you housing. Well, they don't have any, but they think they can provide all this stuff. Oh, they, they do have housing. If you have three or four million dollars liquid cash in the bank, you can get a house in San Francisco. I don't. Oh, most people don't. And uh, well, why don't so you? the utopia thing starts breaking down. Free housing has to be a part of this utopia. Com- the full convenience culture. I need a free McMansion. 
doesn't everybody get a free McMansion? Isn't that part of this where we're well, going I'm, with the convenience culture? I'm, I'm living in mine right now with about $40,000 in deferred maintenance. I, I don't know. The cats are ruining that, uh, ruling that place. The, it is true that we're just here to serve cats. So maybe that's the whole thing of convenience culture. Huh. We didn't think about whose convenience. <laughs> uh, I, I had other points to make, but I closed the wrong damn window. So all my notes vanished. <laughs> if you don't know the points you wanted to make, you cannot make them. Oh, Convenience culture. You see what just happened there? <laughs> you close the window. You are so reliant upon that machine that your convenience is gone. If you don't have your thoughts sitting right in front of you. Oh, oh no. I trust me. I, I have the ability to continue to make points. They just might not be coherent or the ones that I wanted to make. Hey, if you want coherent points, go to a different podcast. This is grumpy old Ben's. This is a, this is a whole new concept in podcasting excitement. Excitement. This is two guys yelling at the cloud. This is two guys yelling at the cloud. I mean, when I say two guys yelling at the cloud, I mean, actually going outside and yelling at clouds, but you're the computer guy. So you're, well, one of us is going outside and yelling at clouds. And the other one is sitting here in his fortress of the internet and yelling at the cloud. That's deep, man. That is really deep. And we switch sometimes. Uh-huh. That, that is true. I mean, so what people will give up in order to have convenience, whether convenience is going to eventually be the end of all society, we don't really know. I'm, I'm guessing it might. Convenience is, I guess the takeaway here is that convenience is, is a very powerful motivator in human society, especially in first world society, where we have so much convenience at our fingertips that we've lost the ability to function without it. The two warnings that I have about it are, first of all, what are you giving up? And then the, you know, the the question is, are you giving up privacy? Are you giving up security? Uh, We we talk about those on other episodes and uh, the cost is often higher than you think for what you're getting. But the takeaway that I would offer is whenever you pick up something more convenient, you need to think about what you're giving up instead. And even if you decide that it's okay that you're giving up some private information or you're okay that you've decided that you're, you're giving up some of just make sure you understand what you're giving up. Cause the problem that I see the most with convenience is the number of people who don't even care what they're giving up. They're like, well, I like this convenient thing and I can't tell what I've lost. So I guess it must not have been important. And you know what? That sort of thing will be important later. Right. Well, either they don't know or they don't care because I mean, the epitome of convenience is we have convenience stores, which you've talked about where, you know, a hundred years ago, you couldn't just go down to the Piggly Wiggly or A&P or any other funny store name we want to throw in there to get your food to eat. You had to go out and kill your own food or you had to grow your own food. That's a complete new convenience that people have been dealing with in our relative history uh, in the more recent history. Things like fast food. You're right. What are you giving up? It's a lot easier to go to McDonald's, go to Burger King, Wendy's mention all of them. Don't want anybody to think we have a sponsor. Go grab a burger. And it's a lot easier than cooking for yourself, but you're also consuming way more salt. You're giving up literally years of your life if you do that every day. 
Yes, you're giving you're, you're having too much salt. You're having too much fat. You're consuming food that is not healthy as because it's convenient and everybody does it every now and then. I think there are some people that, you know, do that on a daily basis and that you have to watch because that is the negative side of convenience is you don't know what you're eating anymore. You don't know what you're consuming. It used to be you killed your own food. Yes. You saw, you know, it, that was the original, like, you know, farm to table kind of concept was it was your farm. It was your table. You know, this wasn't a frou-frou thing. This wasn't a yuppie concept for a restaurant. This was a way of life. And people that still do this, the people that still hunt for their own meat, people that still grow their own vegetables and things like that, even if it's just a small minority of the total things you consume, I think are a lot healthier people and have a better understanding of the world around them and what it takes to survive. Because I do think if we get the big, you know, the big electronic burst that takes the internet down, you know, takes our internet, uh, not only the internet takes down the ability to use a credit card and, you know, nobody has cash anymore. So all the stores close down, nobody can get food. Everything goes to hell. You know, the people that have some crops and, and some, uh, and some venison in the freezer, they're going to be the ones laughing at all of us who have been we're sliding down this convenience slide going, Hey, everything's super easy. I can do it. You know, I don't have to worry about anything. Uh, I agree with you. you. Just preparedness and understanding what you're giving up and think about what might happen if these conveniences, any one of these goes away. How would you react to those? Well, the one takeaway that I'm going to offer anybody who is looking at the next new convenience, the next new thing that somebody is offering is uh, whenever somebody says sign up for this service or buy this product, it'll be more convenient. The advice that I have is stop for a moment, think logically and critically about it. What am I giving up and is it worth it? But of course, you're not going to think about that. Why? Because it's not convenient. Damn, that's deep. And if you think it's convenient, you can email us at grumpyoldbenz.com. Ryan is, well, Ryan, R-Y-A-N at grumpyoldbenz.com. And I am Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at grumpyoldbenz. You have a suggestion for what you want to hear. If you want to tell us the show sucks, those go to Ryan. If you want to heap praise upon us or send us tons of money, you can send that to me. And of course, we do have a value donation button on the webpage if you're so inclined to support podcasters who really don't want a real job. But this is work. Trust me, if you don't believe me, try podcasting yourself. And they have. <laughs> Almost everybody has. Tell us where your podcasts are. From an undisclosed location on America's left coast, I'm Ryan Bemrose. And from deep in a bunker, just outside of Chicago, Illinois, Chirac, baby. I am Darren O'Neill. Later.